0: Let's go back to Matthew five. To hear the greatest preacher there ever was continue his sermon. Jesus giving this sermon on the mount, and it's been quite the beautiful sermon. It's it has touched on so many different topics and issues. And if you remember where this thing started at, it was the Beatitudes. Blessed are. Remember those. How wonderful those were. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where we began the Beatitudes. And we worked through those and we've made it down to being persecuted for that righteousness that we are hungering and thirsting after. Then our first service here was about being salt and light in this world. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it or the prophets, And then we were told that the the righteousness that enters into heaven is that that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Then, starting in verse 21, he's began to exegete the law, the true meaning of the law. We started with murder and what that is all about and the intentions of the heart. And then we spoke on adultery and lust in the heart. That's where we talked about last week. And this week we pick up in verse 33, and we'll cover down to verse 37. Talking about oaths, swearing by oaths, and we'll see what Jesus has to say. So let's read this, verse 33, going down to verse 37. It says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. It's an interesting transition that he makes, isn't it? We go from murder to adultery, Two vows and oaths. Well, let's see what he's talking about, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you again that we can come here tonight and renew our minds. Lord, and come to hear the truths that are found in your word. The truth that is the only truth. The truth that has stood the test of time. Lord, your word is truth. And we are to be sanctified by Your word. I pray that you would give us instruction, guidance, wisdom tonight. As we preach these verses, I pray that you would open our souls and our hearts to understand the truth. And Lord, let us not just gather with flippant attitudes. Let us not gather because it's the thing to do in the middle of the week. But Lord, let us come with reverence right now. Let us come and feel the weight that is before us as we open your page of Scripture. And Lord, let us know that the words we are hearing tonight as we read these verses are from the lips of our Lord as he gave this sermon this day. So please guide us and help us. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, let's begin here and say that this verse, these set of verses, I do not believe shows that this is an all out condemnation or an all out uh, statement that you Any oaths or any vows are sinful. Because we see that in the Bible, Jesus himself swore by an oath. We see that there are going to be examples of his disciples swearing by oaths and vows. And maybe if you're married today, you made vows one day. We also see that this comes into play when we're in a courtroom setting, that you are to testify under oath. So there is time and a place for oaths and vows and promises, but Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here because just as the other things that we've talked about here, you can imagine that what is going on here would be similar to what has already taken place in the preceding verses, that there was a way that it should be done. And the rabbis and the teachers and the Pharisees and the scribes had got a way around it had twisted it, had distorted it for their own personal gain. And they were doing that with making oaths and vows. And Jesus is going to strike to the heart of the matter. He's going to speak to the truth of the matter. And he's going to give us clarification on what is the proper way to go about this. Now, here's what I want to do first before we get into this to show you that there are examples of oaths and vows that are taken in the Bible. Even by the Lord himself. So follow along with me here in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. We see the first one that we'll come across in this study tonight. This is Acts chapter 2. This is speaking of David. And it says, And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. This is the Davidic covenant. This is the promise that through the line of David, there would be one that would come and rule on this messianic throne who would rule and reign forever. What's interesting here is that God swore to him with an oath. Now, if oaths were all sinful, we've got a problem because your righteousness has just went out the window. The imputated righteousness that is imputed to you by Christ and faith alone in him has gone out the window if all oaths are sin because Christ uh, says that God swore to David by an oath. So there's a right way and there's a wrong way to go about this. And he cross-references that with Psalm 132, verse 11. that says, The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne." So it is God who swore with an oath to David concerning this Davidic covenant. You can find other examples of that in, I think, 2 Samuel chapter 7. It talks about the Davidic covenant and the promise there. Then we go to Romans chapter 1. This is Paul, and he's writing to the Romans. And he begins to tell them of his validation and the reason that he is writing to them and telling them of the gospel it says, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. He's making an oath saying that, listen, I am promising you my God. He's my witness that I am. The, I have been called to do this and to send this letter to you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, we see Paul had made a Nazarite vow and We won't go into the detail on that, but we know that one of the things that was required in a Nazarite vow was that you let your hair grow. And we see this in Acts chapter 18, verse 18. It says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to the sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila in Centria. He had had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. So, the vow that he took was to not cut his hair under that time of being under a Nazarite vow. But now that time was over, he had fulfilled that, and now here in Acts 18 18, he had his hair cut. We even see that there are angels in Revelation chapter 10, verse 5 through 6, that swore. It says then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there would be delay no longer. So we have Christ. We have the father. We see that they are making an oath to David. Paul is doing this in the start of Romans. He kept the Nazarite vow or oath in Acts 18. We have angels swearing by the one who lives in heaven forever and ever in Revelation 10. And in Matthew 26, we see that Jesus himself is standing on trial before Pilate and under oath of a jury. And before him, he testifies to the truth. It says, but Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ and the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Here he is before this high priest standing, being questioned. And he gives this word under oath, if you will as he's standing on trial before the high priest, and he would later stand before Pontius Pilate. So you can see just in a short period of time, we've got example after example of oaths, swearing by, and vows being made throughout these several examples. That's not an exhaustive list, but you start to see the picture. So what is at stake here? Why is he saying here to these people, it has been told, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by the heavens, for it is the throne of God, for, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by, the, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What is he saying in that? Again, they had twisted it. They had made it into something that was wrong, and Jesus correcting it. But before we get to that, we have to go to the greatest, one of the greatest oaths and vows and promises that we see in all of the Bible. And we find this in Genesis chapter 15. So I'm going to turn there. I didn't print it out because it's a lot of verses. Genesis 15, we find that Abram is promised a son. So let's read this and listen to God and what he's going to swear by. He's going to make an oath and he's going to swear by himself. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, "Since you have, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir." Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "This man will not be your heir, but one whom will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir." And he took him outside and said, "Now look toward the heavens and count the stars." If you are able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And this is a critical verse, verse six. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You have faith bringing about righteousness in the Old Testament. How has anyone ever been saved? It's been the same way through faith. You will realize that Abram had not been circumcised yet. But he was counted righteous as righteous before God, and what was that that brought it about? Sola fide, if you will. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. We will find that picked up in Re- uh, Romans chapter four, and many other times throughout the New Testament. That it is by faith alone that we are children of Abraham, by that faith and by this promise. Children of Abraham by faith is what it says that we are, but. That's a huge verse. He's legally declared righteous, even though we know that he is not. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, oh, Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? There's the question. You've heard this before, but it's let's work through it again. It's important. You've made me this promise, God. How will I know? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The bird of prey came down upon the carcass, and Abram drove them away. drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenazite, the Candemanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephram, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. If you remember the beauty in this story, that Abram wanted to know how he would know that God's promise was good. How would he know? What would this sign be? Jesus, or excuse me, God calls to him and says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old goat, female goat, and a three-year-old ram, turtle dove and a young pigeon, takes the animals, cuts them in two and laid each half opposite the other. And if you remember in antiquity that they would make a promise and it would they would do th- very similar to this and two parties would pass in between those halves of the carcasses as to say that if... I don't keep my end of this oath or this promise. Let it be to me as it is to these dead animals. Let me die, if you will. And here we have... God himself in the form of a theophany. And we won't spend a lot of time on this, but just to jog your memory, that there are manifestations of God in the Old Testament. A lot of times we see it through fire. We see a theophany in the burning bush. We see a theophany where he is leading the children of Israel through uh, the wilderness, uh, through a pillar of fire and a, a cloud of, uh, of a fire and a pillar of uh, fire and a pillar of cloud, right? Get it right. He's doing both of those, I do believe but he's leading them. That's a theophany. And we see other examples in the Bible. He comes down on Mount Sinai and it's fire and thunder and it's manifestation of God and his presence. And here we see it here in the form of a smoking oven and a flaming torch. And this is a theophany of God. And what God is doing here is he's saying, Abram, you want to know how sure I am about my oath and how sure I am about my promise and how I'm going to swear, I'll show you. And instead of two parties walking in between these carcasses, it is God Almighty in a theophany that passes in between those halves of those animals. What does that mean? Basically, it means that God was swearing by himself, He was saying, Abram, here's how certain this promise is. That if I do not keep this promise to you, this Abrahamic covenant, this promise of what I've just said, if I don't keep it, let it be to me as it is to these animals. Let me die. There's nothing greater in the universe. There's nothing higher in all of existence that he could have swore by other than himself. So to show the absolute weight of this promise, he comes and passes between those carcasses as he's the one making the oath, the the swearing by himself. And basically, if this promise to Abram does not come true, then God no longer is God. He swore that oath to him that day. And I will tell you that that promise Is eternal. This is the oath, the swearing by that he made that day. Now we find the parallel passage in Hebrews chapter six. In Hebrews chapter six, verse thirteen through twenty. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the air of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one that, which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we find that in verse 16, for men swear by something greater than themselves, but God had no one greater to swear by than himself. And God made an oath to Abram. That day as he passed through those animal carcasses, he swore by himself to show the absolute certainty of that promise. He made that oath. It's eternal. And that hope, and that still goes to us today. If you're a believer today, then... We should thank God for that promise he made that day. Because as we place faith in him, we are counted righteousness, have righteousness of Christ. We're counted righteous as Abraham was that day. It is by faith that this comes to pass. That is the promise that we have. That is why we can tell our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as it goes down the list, we can tell generation after generation that this promise, this oath that God made is everlasting. Now that's an oath he made. So what is he saying here? What is he telling these people? We've seen that oaths are in the Bible. We've seen that, that the promises are made. What is he saying? Well, let's go to the Old Testament now and look at, let's look at oaths and verses on oaths that we find in the Old Testament to get, a, get an idea of what's happening. In Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 2, it says, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You're going to get you're going to see the picture really quick of what's happening. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it for it would be sin in you and the Lord, your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Picking up on that, profaning his name, we find this in Exodus 20, verse 7 in the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished which who takes his name in vain. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. You see what's going on here in the Old Testament is this. It is a dangerous thing to make a vow to God in His name, and not go through with what you promised. It's sinful. It's wrong. And not only is it wrong, it profanes His name, the name that is above every name, the name that is holy. And we know this because Jesus tells us, and later on we're going to read this through the Sermon on the Mount. When we pray, what are we to say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. I've heard it once said that you can tell how much a Christian truly reverences God by how much respect and honor they have in how they use his name. Is it just a word that we say? Does it just come out of our mouth? Do we use it flippantly? Do we use it casually? Or is it with great reverence and honor that we use his holy name? They're saying, do not swear by my name because you have taken my name in vain. If you make a vow to God, you better repay it or there will be judgment and, and it will be sin and it is a serious thing to do. You get the picture. How many times have you heard, even Christians, I swear to God, and then they'll say something. Who oh, be careful. Let us never do that. And if we have, let us... Ask for mercy and forgiveness and never do it again. His name is holy and to swear by his name, things that you can't control, circumstances that are sometimes out of our hands, it is not a good thing. But sometimes we just swear by it and then just break it like it's nothing. Like the name (laughs) we've swore to is just another name. Like it means nothing. Let us never do that. It is a serious thing to make a vow before God, to God, in his name. Well, what were these people doing? They knew that. They knew that making an oath to God and in his name was sinful and it would, it would bring upon judgment and, and rebuke from God. So what did they do? Look what they do. Can you imagine they would find a way to get around it to suit their own fleshly desires? and selfish reasons. Look what they do. They said, well, we'll just swear by the heavens. Not the name of God. And what, they were, what you're going to realize in these verses is this. They are going to make oaths and promises to people, and they're going to swear by Jerusalem. They're going to swear by the heavens. They're going to swear by other things to show that what they're saying has great weight, and they're serious about it. And they thought they could bypass the, 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 the due sin if they could just not make an oath in his name or to him directly. So they would say, well, we want to show that we're still having great meaning in our word. They wanted to convey that what they were saying is really, really true. But they thought they could bypass it by saying, well, we'll swear by heavens. But look what it says. But don't do that because that's the throne of God. The heavens belongs to him. You can't bypass that. And then it says, well, how about we'll swear by earth? Oh, but that's the footstool of the king of the universe. They said, well, why don't we just swear by Jerusalem? Oh, but that's the city of the great king. And they said, well, what if we swear by our own heads? That belongs to him too. He's the creator of all life what they're going to find out is everything that they're swearing by in this creation is what? It's under the ownership of God. It belongs to Him. To swear by those things is still swearing by the things that God owns and by direct result, it carries great weight as well. They thought they could get around it. They would say these oaths and these promises and knowing all along that they thought they could, you know, if they didn't make it in God's name, they would be okay if they broke it. And I guarantee you that there were so many oaths made and promises spoken under Jerusalem by heaven, by earth that they intended to never keep. But they wanted to sound like they were wanting to keep it. And all along bringing condemnation and sin upon them. They were using these oaths in a way that was not intended by God as their oaths were deceptive and misleading. They would swear by things such as we just mentioned. And in their minds, they thought they could escape the judgment, the guilt that these oaths would require if they made it to God and in His name. However, He owns it all. They were swearing by the things that belonged to God as all His creation was His and brought about sin and judgment as a result. And what he's teaching here is that swearing by the th- these things they were swearing upon was just as if they were swearing to him himself, to God himself. And directly to his name because he's sovereign creator of all things. He knows all things. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient. And he knows and you're going you're going it's going to sound familiar. He knew the hearts and he knew the motives of their oaths and their swearings and their promises. I thought they could get by with it. We want to show our seriousness, so we'll swear by the things that look religious and look godly, but we won't swear by Him. But let us remember that as well, that everything we swear by, the sovereign Creator owns. And it's just as we're swearing to Him because He's the one who owns it all. And look what it says here in Matthew 23, to kind of a follow-up to here in verse 20 through 22. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it of God. And who swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sets on it. You see what's going on here. They thought that they just didn't murder someone. They could get by with it, even though they had anger and murder and slander in their hearts. And they thought as long as they didn't commit adultery physically, they would get by with it. But God knew the heart. And they thought if they just swore by these things that looked good on the outside, they could bypass swearing by His name. But they were still sinning. Swearing by things that the Bible tells us we have no business doing. So what else is going on here? He's telling us that we are to be careful about our oaths and our vows in our daily lives. And in a sense, we know that there's going to be times where we have to make vows and oaths, right? Like we mentioned earlier, a wedding. You stand before God and you take oaths and vows to each other under God, under the the view of God. And when we're in court, we have to be sworn in under oath. In those senses, we're we're supposed to do those things, right? We're to be good citizens and to do those things that are required. However, in an ultimate sense, the Christian should never, ever have to swear an oath. You know why? Because our word should be truth. Our word should be truth at all times. Oaths and vows should not be made for just any reason or occasion, but like we had mentioned, of special occasion or those times of ultimate weight and seriousness. It is better to not make a vow or to swear than to swear and have no intention of keeping it or just not keeping it. What he's saying here is this, at all times our word should be true. It should be our bond. You know, going back to swearing by heavens and, and Jerusalem and We see a sense of that today, right? We've talked about it. What is the ultimate sign of a sealed oath in today's world? The pinky promise, right? You see, that's what I mean. A true Christian, their words should be so good that you'd never have to have a pinky promise from them. Right? This is what he's saying. No, no, no. I really need you to pinky promise me. You've told me that you promised, you told me you wouldn't, but I need a pinky We even see this as a child. I remember this. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. You're swearing by yourself. You're not omniscient and you're not omnipotent. And you have no power to inflict anything if a vow is not completed or made. To make a vow upon yourself like that or someone else. You've heard this. I swear by my mother's grave. Well, to do that, you know what you're saying? That your mother's grave is omniscient and they, your mother's grave will know if you've not committed or kept your oath. You're attributing to the grave omniscience. That's not good. That's idolatry and sin. And then what else do we say? That if I don't keep my promise then my mother's grave, will bring about this retribution. Well, then we assign to the grave omnipotence that has power to bring about this. We can't do that either. Our word should be our bond. I and mean, only in a certain settings, like we've talked about, Okay, should oats be used. Other than that, let our word be true. Let our word be good. There's some verses here on keeping your word. Psalm 24, verse 1 through 4. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Psalm 15, verse 4 says, In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord? He swears to his own hurt and does not change. This verse is saying that if you give someone your word, even if it brings you heartache, even if it brings punishment upon you, even if it brings hurt upon you, Keep your word. Now, that's not a popular verse. So many times we bail out on the truth when it protects us, don't we? He says, if you make a promise to someone, you give someone your word, even if it brings your own hurt after the cause. Don't change your word. Be true to your word. Now, there are circumstances that are understandable. If I tell my kids tomorrow when I get off of work, we will go to Mackey's pizza and I'm in a car accident. I'm live flighted to the hospital, obviously. Those out of my hands. But should I have promised it? Or should I have said, good Lord willing? I don't know what tomorrow holds. But if everything goes well, I'm gonna take you guys there because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But to the best of our ability, let our words be true. If we make a promise, let it be promiseful and be true and, and let it be solid. Look what James chapter 5 verse 12 says. But above all, now what's interesting here is James has given us a lot of just great content. Practical application for living. And in this section he gets down to verse 12 and he says but above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by or with any other oath because you're swearing to God but your yes is to be yes and your no no so that you may not fall under judgment And you see the severity of this don't swear by things in the heavens Those are God's things. Don't swear by the things that he's laid out here for all the reasons we've discussed tonight. Don't do that. But above all those things, let your yes be yes and your no be no. To make an oath to do that, you just give somebody your word. And they used to say there was a time where you could just give a man a handshake. And that was good. I believe it should go even farther than that. The Christian should just be able to look at somebody. Tell them the truth. And let that be binding. But how far we've come from that, because of our own sinfulness, our own selfishness, But look what it says about God's promises being yes. Now, listen, we just, we just referenced and talked about a great promise, a great swearing, an oath that took place in Genesis 15. Aren't you glad tonight that you can go to bed and have this assurance that all God's promises are yes? Aren't you glad he's not like us? He did swear by an oath. Upon himself, he did swear by the one who created the heavens and the earth. There's no one greater. And he swore by himself, putting his deity on the line. You realize that? The promise and the oath he made to the Abrahamic covenant, he put his own deity on the line. If it doesn't come to pass, then I'm not God. And I'll die. Aren't you glad His promises are yes? You go through every promise in the Bible and look at what God has promised. Do you know what you can say about all of His promises? Yes. They're yes. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You can take great assurance in His promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. We were here a little bit on Sunday talking about the Holy Spirit as a pledge in our hearts. It says, For as many as are the promises of God... In him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Let us never forget that God's promises are true. They're yes. They're yes. God cannot lie. And what you read in the pages of Scripture is His truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you ever have downtime, look up all the promises of God and just start to feel the comfort that comes when you read them. This is what's going on in these verses. These scribes, these rabbis, these Pharisees, they're deceptive. They're liars. But to make it look good, to make it look like it has great weight behind their promise, and to make it look religious, they try to escape the system and not swear to God directly. But even in that, they were swearing by the things that he owned, all that belonged to him. And in not keeping those promises brought condemnation, guilt, and judgment upon them. And he says, don't do that. That's not necessary. You get married, take an oath, take vows. You go to the courthouse, swear you in, take an oath, that's fine. But other than that, just give your word. Because you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Just give your word, and to the best of your abilities, you keep that word. Wouldn't it be great if that's what all Christians were known for? So sadly, it's not. It says that all men are liars. But let us take these verses tonight and challenge our hearts. We'll close with this. God swore by nothing greater than himself when making the promise to Abram in Genesis 15, And in swearing by himself, he was saying that if he doesn't come through, if this promise is not true, then he will die. He will cease being God. He put his deity on the line, which means that none of us have any hope of heaven, which means that any of us who've ever put faith in Christ, we couldn't be sure that we'll get to heaven. However, he swore by himself. And I will tell you this. He has no beginning and he has no end. He has life in himself, which means he's eternal, which is how long this promise will be for. Aren't you glad for that? He cannot die, he cannot lie. We know his promise is eternal, and all of his promises are yes. So here's the challenge tonight. We as his children should live by this instruction that we hear tonight, just as his promises are yes. That we as his children are to be like him and let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these verses, Lord, and what they mean to us and the great challenge that you have given. Lord, we thank you that you made an oath and you swore <coughs> by yourself. You put yourself on the line. You put your deity at stake to make this promise to Abram, which impacts indirectly. directly comes to us as believers, as those who've placed faith in you and have been declared righteous, just as Abram was in Genesis 15. Lord, let us understand the peace, the joy, the comfort that comes with knowing that all your promises are yes, Lord, we know that if we place faith in you, then we will be justified and we will have eternal life in you because you swore by yourself. And we thank you. Thank you for the promises you've made. And Lord, let us be challenged tonight to not swear or make oaths by these things that we've mentioned tonight. Not by your name, not by the things that are yours, not by heaven, not by earth not by ourselves, none of those things. But Lord, let our word be true. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. As we are conformed to your image, as that is the case with you, we can take your words with all surety And let that be the case with your children, that we don't dishonor you. We don't sin against you. And Lord, let us understand the seriousness of how we use your name from this point forward. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And again, we thank you that your promises are yes. And let us desire for that to be the same with us. And let us not try to get around it, but adhere to every word you've said, because it's true. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.